Welcome to the second season of the Chicago Sustainability Series. Founded in 2015 by me, Tomas de Medici, the series is a practical exploration of sustainability, inclusion, representation, and equity. In this food dialogue, our first for the second season, I'm joined by Thomas Jonas, the CEO and co-founder of Nature's Find. Chicago-based Nature's Find produces breakfast, lunch, and dinner foods from a complete alternative protein made from microbes through their own fermentation process. This process uses 99% less land, generates 99% less greenhouse gas emissions, and utilizes 87% less water compared to raising beef. On June 26, 2020, we sat down virtually to discuss how their origins are tied to NASA research about life in extreme volcanic conditions in Yellowstone National Park, the impact and opportunities of the COVID-19 pandemic for alternative proteins, their Series B investments of $80 million from Bill Gates' Breakthrough Energy Ventures and Al Gore's Generation Investment Management, and the poetry of producing sustainable, complete alternative proteins in their new 35,000-square-foot Union Stockyards facility, the same ground where Chicago was once the hog butcher for the world. You can learn more about Nature's Find, spelled with a Y, at naturesfind.com, and more about the series at sustainetheshy.com. Enjoy the dialogue. I am Tomas de Medici. I am the founder of the Chicago Sustainability Series. This is Friday, June 26. We are kicking off our second season in 2020, which is certainly a remarkable year. I am joined by Thomas Jonas, the CEO of Nature's Find. Nature's Find is a new company focused on revolutionizing our food system with utilizing proteins from uh, fermentation and from Yellowstone uh, glaciers or uh, geysers and Thomas is going to tell us a little bit about his background and what got him into the food space and then we're going to discuss why this type of company especially a Chicago-based company is so well poised and so important and so with that Thomas if you could tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you into this space and thank you so much for kicking off the second season of the Chicago Sustainability Series with us. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast. And I'm, I'm very excited to kick the new season. It's like, I feel like it's, a, it's an honor. I feel like I'm cutting the ribbons. It's very, very exciting to, to be here. Um, well, the, 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 so just a, a little bit about, about me and I'll try to keep it short because uh, I'm, not, I'm not the most interesting guy. I'm just a guy. Um, if the, the accent you might detect right now that your listener might detect is actually not a Southern Illinois accent. I know it kind of sounds like it, but I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint. I'm actually French. I, I did my best, but you know, it's, it, I, I can't pass, I guess, right? So I'm actually French, um, uh, born and raised in France, born and raised in Paris, close to Paris. I have been in the US for about 16, 17 years by now. So I've been here for about 17 years and um, I came as an expat for a French company. And I actually, the, the funny thing is I did a, most of my career uh, in the US in the packaging industry. So, so basically my previous life was a life where you can make a case that I was filling the ocean with plastic. Um, so I'd like to think about what I do now in a way as a story of redemption. Um, but uh, it, it might be giving me a little myself a little too much credit here. Um, I think I think fundamentally what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do here is uh, what we can, 
we're, we're trying to do our part. We're trying to find ways to change um, things around us um, with a positive impact and specifically a positive sustainability impact. Uh, global warming is real, science is real, um, temperatures are going up, and uh, this is not a matter of debate, these things are fact, they are pretty simple. And uh, we all know and understand that our food system is a big factor in that. So what we're set up to do is to try to do our part in diminishing um, the, 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 the footprint of our food supply in terms of negative environmental footprint. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help resolve that. And we're trying to do that in a way that, um, uh, you know, solve as many of the challenges that we're facing today, whether they're social, whether they are, uh, you know, technology. Um, but having in mind, of course, that we're talking about food and food has to be good. So one of the one of the parameters that plays in the equation here is that it has to taste good. It has to be good food. So that's that's what I do in a, in, in a nutshell. And you know, there's there, there's a couple things you touched upon there. It's the intersectionality there, and I I want to also remind folks that you've also served as an officer in the French Air Force, and you know, you mentioned. Um, what, one of the things I really appreciate that aside from, you know, the service, but the folks who are coming together to work on climate change solutions, whether that is in the environmental advocacy space, whether it's in the nonprofit space, the private sector, food, energy, etc. So many folks are coming from another space, you know, personally before, uh, I, I previously worked in renewable energy development, particularly in, a early stage solar project development and our director of operations used to do oil sand development in Canada and our joke around the office was that like he was working off his carbon debt um, but I, I I appreciate you know you you touching upon that because every single person is coming from a certain place and that should not preclude anybody from getting involved or feeling like they are part of the solution no I, I you know I think that's a really important point actually um, I think we, we all come with a history and baggage. Uh, you know, when I, when, I was a, when I was a kid growing up in France, I remember seeing, you know, people when, in, in their cars when they were driving and they were drinking something while driving and they were done drinking and they would just toss it through the window. And like I'm dating myself here a little bit or we're talking about the, you know, the, the, the 70s probably. But, and I think it was the same in the US, right? So there was not a sense of, the, the, the limitation of the resources that we're currently uh, feeling much more acutely. So there was not a sense of the frailty of our uh, ecosystem and how this was just this little pale blue dot that we're living on. It's, I think that that sense is something that we, that became more real to all of us uh, as humans over the past uh, few, you know, a couple of decades maybe. And I think we kind of knew, but there is really this acceleration going on, right? I think we, we knew that maybe it wasn't great to just toss something through the window, uh, right? I think we, we always knew. But I, I think, you, in a way, it's, it, you know, another thing that you can kind of parallel that to is uh, people smoking. You know, smoking used to be a common, cool thing to do. 
Uh, you didn't think twice about that. Um, and and in, there's so many ways, so many parallels actually, and even the way you, you can see the, the way the tobacco company were spinning um, the fact that there's no problem here is very similar to the way the oil and gas industry has been spinning that there is no problem going on here, right? So um, I think we, it is to be expected that there is going to be a lot of people that are coming from somewhere else that, that start to understand that our actions have consequences. Um, and once you have established that baseline, the, the next question becomes, okay, what can I do? And it's important to get to what can I do because there is, like, don't wait for a magical angel to come and solve all, all of our problems. So I, I think there is an ethic of responsibility here. And I'm actually fascinated um, and incredibly optimistic about the Gen Zs, the, the younger folks, and the, the realization that they have that, and that they are going to be the one doing the work. And they're fine with it. I mean, they're not necessarily happy <laughs> every day. But, but one of the things that I find fascinating is that this generation that was born facing all of these challenges is actually the most optimistic generation. Um, and, and I think that's, that should, uh, it's going to be the greatest generation ever. I'm, I'm so excited to um, see those guys. There's, um, cause I'm an older guy here. I dated myself from childhood on 70. So, you know, I, uh, I'm starting to feel that like, it's especially in the current flashpoint we're in, you know, it reminded me. So like my, you know, awareness of, of, of global issues and, and, and where does this stuff all start and where can I try to contribute to a better uh, solution? You know, I was in middle school during 9-11. And so that was my like flashpoint of, okay, here's the issues that have been going on historically. Here's the flashpoint we're in and here's this new reality. And so now to see the flashpoints that we're experiencing right now, it's really remarkable to see how this new generation is handled. I'm going to do a very goofy example. You know, I'll, I'll sometimes like be on, be on TikTok and you know, there'll, there'll be goofy videos and it's predominantly Gen Z. But like just integrated in, in this very like da-da goofy format are like, the, I, I don't want to say children, but like young teenagers, like teaching people about like intersectional racism, about immigration rights, about climate change, about what have you. And it's so remarkable to see how fast attitudes can change generationally when you have such a rapid mode of, um, you know, uh, information transmission and so anyway it's <laughs> i'm glad that we share this uh optimism in the new in the new generation i i want to come back to nature's fine because again it, it it also is about creating a better world right now and then for the future so you all are using 99 percent less land 87 percent less water than standard beef production um can you talk a little bit more about what the uh five five i believe uh, protein is and what that's actually going to be like when it's something I can take out of my freezer because um, I know you all are going to uh, commercialization and then I want to talk about what happened in March uh, from there. So um, 
So what the hell is this thing, Phi, right? It's that we're going to be launching soon. Uh, it's a new protein. It's a new to the world protein. It is not an animal protein. It is not a plant-based protein, and right? it's neither nor. Um, so let me backtrack a little bit and, and to, to, to give some context here. So the, the company really started from a um, research project for NASA. And the goal of the research was to try to figure it out if, uh, to figure out if NASA was going to send a probe to a moon of Saturn or to Mars or to some distant asteroid out there. What would be the envelope of conditions in which it would make sense to look for life? Right, so think about it. You you want to go and uh, check for life at the bottom of the methane lakes on Titan, um, or you want to go and check in the geysers of Enceladus that are shooting thousands of miles uh, into space, or you know, Jupiter. I mean, we have a sense of how life is organized on this planet, but fundamentally, what we have is a data point of one. We know life on planet Earth. So far, we haven't seen it anywhere else. We don't know how it could be organized, how it could be structured, how, in which environment it could live. So considering that there are so many planets that are or environment outside of ours that are not like Earth, it is very likely, if there is life out there, that it's not organized the way it is here and that it's not experienced experiencing similar conditions. So that train of thought took us to a very different uh, place than the rest of planet Earth, and that is the acidic volcanic springs of Yellowstone National Park. So Yellowstone National Park is, um, for, those, for those who are not familiar, it's in the northwest of the US. Um, it is, the, the greater Yellowstone Basin is about half the size of Switzerland. Um, it's a pretty large uh, basin. It is basically the biggest supervolcano on the planet. It is sitting on a huge lava chamber um, and it is active. So there is regularly uh, small little volcanic eruption, earthquakes, I mean, not volcanic eruption, but small, small earthquakes. Um, and what happens over there is the snow that accumulates in the winter melts, gets into the ground, and these waters get heated by the lava and go through blocks of sulfur, blocks of minerals. And, and, and when they come out through these springs and sometimes through these geysers, the composition of these waters are amazing. So we studied the spring, which is at a pH equivalent to your car battery. Uh, so it's a very, very, it's like a little acidic spring that comes out of the ground. And pretty much anything that would fall in it would die because it's an extraordinarily harsh environment for us. But, but this is fundamentally a story of optimism and a story of um, life finding a way. Uh, because across many centuries, thousands of years actually, um, microbial organisms managed to colonize uh, these, these very unique environments. And so those microbes, uh, there must have been an incredible, we can't, we can't even fathom the number of microbes that probably fall, fell in it over time and just died. But once, one day, for some random reason, one of them just managed to get in. And, and, and so there is this limited amount of microbial strains, and they're called extremophile because they adapt to this extreme organism. Um, 
that have been able to adapt to this incredible environment. They are hot, they are acidic, they, are, uh, they have high sulfur concentration. I mean, it's, it's really, it's like another, it is like another planet. Um, so we discovered a bunch of new to the world life form that had never been discovered before. And in particular, we discovered um, one, one organism, one microbe, uh, which uh, became phi. And this, this organism, um, this microorganism is not a plant, it's not an animal, it's actually part of the, this third branch of life that, we, that is all around us that we always forget, which is the fungi realm. So when you say fungi, you know, you're going to think, oh, it's like a mushroom. Not really. It's not really like a mushroom. It would be misleading to say it's like a mushroom. It's like a macroscopic organism. It's a microbe that is uh, part of that fungi, this fungi realm. What, what's interesting about the fungi realm is that they're actually, funny enough, closer to animals than they are to plants. So the, the, in, the, in the tree of life, they separated from us animals later than we collectively separated from plants. So they're closer to us. So that's also one of the reasons why they are, um, their, their cellular machinery, if you will, is closer to that of an animal than to that of a plant, which, you know, it's kind of surprising. When we, when we think about mushroom, we think, hey, at the grocery stores, they are put with a vegetable, so that's a vegetable. It's not, actually. It's this other other branch of life that's there so there are lots of um of fungi right right now as you are listening or as we're talking we are all breathing in and out fungi spores and other microbes and all and and and, and don't freak out i mean it's it's normal that's our planet the ecosystem that the world we live in the thing that's really interesting i i think is that because this organism had to adapt and it had to evolve in this environment, it became a master at doing more with less. And to me, there, there is no, no better way to describe what we need to do as a species in the next uh, decades. We need to learn to do more with less. And this organism is a master at it. It went through a very unique evolution, evolutionary pressure to really become very, um, very good at that. And, and the reason is pretty simple. If you're living in an acidic spring, you better not be a picky eater. You better be good at eating whatever you can find, right? And, and what it really means is that it becomes, it developed this spectacular enzymatic capability. So, Long story short, we, we, we discovered this organism and we developed a completely novel fermentation process. And fermentation is really a word that actually means cultivation of microbes. So we developed a way to cultivate this microbe. Um, and fundamentally what we do is we feed it a simple sugar, simple form of sugar, whether it's starch or, or fructose or you know, some simple sugar that's, that's, that's available everywhere in the world. We had a few things in, in a growth media just to make sure it's optimal for its development. And by the way, we don't have to put the sulfur, we don't have to put all these things. We, we really, we just made it very nice for it and it's completely food grade. And then it grows. We grow it, we cultivate it 
the same way you would, um, you know, grow carrots or, or raise cows in, in a way. But we do that in a tray, in a very simple tray-based tray system. There's a lot that we had to invent because there is no book out there that tells you how to cultivate an unknown uh, extremophile acidophile organism. So it took us a, a few years and flash, you know, fast forward to where we are now. We are on the south side of Chicago. We are in the process of scaling up our technology. Um, and we are actually located here in the old stockyard. Uh, so we're really bringing this new protein source uh, really as a plug-in into the old, the old protein world, uh, which I find uh, very interesting. That's what we are up to here in the, in the south side of Chicago. One of the things that really, uh, I mean, uh, all of this is so remarkable. I mean, there, <laughs> there's so much innovation and, and uh, miracle there in, in the sense of like, there had to be NASA like looking to like, where's life? Where are we going to go? But, I mean, the, the amount of things that had to happen. And again, that, that crossover, that multidisciplinary is, is so beautifully on display here. Um, but one of the things that really stuck out to me when we, we spoke beforehand and you were talking about the, the poetry of working uh, by the stockyards was it's the same ground. And, and that is... It's literally the yeah. same ground the same space we're sharing. We, we are literally located here in uh, the very same space where a few decades ago stood a building, a different building, where uh, about 300,000 uh, pigs were stored on a daily basis before being processed. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that that happens to be the same physical location. That building is gone, you know, we're in a different building, but it is the same physical location. So. Uh, you're 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 right. It is there is some irony here. And you know, I, around March, you all had the really nice press release that you had just you know raised eighty million. You were in construction on a thirty-five thousand square foot new facility, but that was also March twenty twenty. And I would I would appreciate if you could speak to how the pandemic either impacted or you know some internal thinking or how you all responded to it um, and also how at a time when our own standard um, you know meat production and, and uh, harvesting is changing and is being challenged maybe where you see the importance of additional revolutionary protein sources that are also better for the environment but yeah really appreciate your perspective on on that tiny question <laughs> Yeah, so the, the past few months have been, uh, of course, for everyone, quite, quite an interesting time, to say the least. For us, um, and, and you mentioned the timing, I mean, we were, uh, we had a, a great event schedule, you know, right there in, in, March, in March, where we were going to have our pilot plant ribbon cutting ceremony with the mayor of Chicago and the governor of Illinois. So we were very excited. And of course, you know, the week before I canceled everything. Um, and then we all, you know, that's when the, that's when the epidemic started. As a matter of fact, we closed our second round of funding the very day the stock market crashed for the first time. 
so it kind of felt uh you know as being on a money raising journey is always an adventure but this one really felt like in the uh old indiana jones movie you know when he snatches the statue and he runs and there's the boulder running you know in his back and he just dodges and gets out mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. getting crushed by the boulder that's how the, the fundraising kind of fell but but this being said and you know we had some challenges that everyone experienced around the you know closing logistics safety for everyone of course but what has been absolutely fascinating i think was to see how in this sector in which we work just like as in so many sector and so many side of our society covid is the great accelerator trends mm -hmm. which were mm -hmm. there before mm -hmm suddenly are just accelerating and, and we are you know we are thrown 10 years in the future and and i think it is true in so many um, aspects uh, of, of what we've been seeing over the past few months and, and what we we will we will continue to see i'm convinced um as this thing subsides but one of the very interesting uh thing that happened during covid is the explosion of uh, alternative protein. Across the world, alternative protein have uh, surged very, very significantly, doubling, tripling uh, in volume. And it's not purely, by the way, linked to uh, some of the challenges that the meat supply experienced. I mean, of course, when it takes your, when it takes a presidential order to keep a meat factory open, you can worry and uh, I think we've all seen the news how in so many countries um, across the world uh, plant factories uh, I mean meat factories turn out to be big COVID uh, hotspots so we, and it's really because of the working conditions there that there is no question so there's been that impact of the, the meat uh, the meat supply being challenged, but there's also been some additional health concern on the part of consumers that really tend to make them think twice about uh, consuming more meat for all the reasons that, that we already know. So I think with all that in mind, that really drove uh, an increase in demand, which I think will be lasting. I have no doubt on this. And just as a, as a Kind of illustration of that we've been tracking consumer sentiment on what we do and what i mean by that is we did this work with uh with, uh, with nielsen a few months ago where we mm -hmm. basically described to consumer what we're doing and we say hey we found this microbe it's a fungi we found it in a volcanic spring in yellowstone we're making food out of it are you interested in trying and before COVID, we were at about 53% of people who say, yeah, I want to try it. 53% is actually a surprisingly high number. You know, think about it. 53% of people agreeing on anything is a pretty high number. Oh, that'd be amazing but, on anything. But, and, and frankly, thinking that you're asking people if they're ready to eat microbes, that is even more surprising. But what is even more fascinating is we redid this exercise about a month ago. So, you know, pretty deep into the COVID epidemic. And that sentiment rose from 53% to 66%. So two-thirds of the population, and that's general population, wow. in the U.S. are basically saying, yeah, I'm interested in trying. Sounds cool. 
Um, but if you think about it, you know, think about kombucha, right? You can stop into any um, gas station anywhere in the US and find kombucha. And these things was just not on anybody's radar before. So I think our, our food habits are much more flexible than we think they are. And um, we've seen again and again, new things come. Uh, you know, think about anything from coconut water to of course, plant-based burger, to kombucha, to, I mean, these things, you know, chia, chia seeds and, you know, it's, and we can go on. And, and on and on. And these things continuously come into our food chain and find a place. Um, so I, I, to get back to your question, um, so the past few months have been, uh, of course, uh, somewhat challenging for us in terms of um, organizing the scale up of, of our technology, but it's not, a, not, not very much actually, because you know, we might be a, a little bit late, but not, not that much. But fundamentally, the market is becoming more and more interested in what we're doing. And so that is, that is fundamentally exciting. And I think those are deep, um, deep trends. I don't think those are uh, just flash in the pans. I think the, it's driven by, by a few things that are pretty obvious, right? It's driven by climate change that makes the amount of resources that we need to dedicate to meat more and more problematic. Um, it's driven by the need in the coming decades to feed an exploding population. So the, the, the 10 billion are just around the corner. It's gonna happen very, very fast. And we just don't have the resources to feed everyone. Um, I think, I'm sure everyone is familiar with these numbers. You know, the, the, the amount of water, the amount of land dedicated to the animal protein chain is phenomenal. And if it's, if it's already breaking the, the, the bank at uh, 8 billion people, you can imagine what it's going to do at 10, 11. So that's, that's why having a way to produce protein in a glorified warehouse uh, in the south side of Chicago is interesting. Um, and as you mentioned, using a fraction of the land, using a fraction of the water, using a fraction of the resources. And that's, that's what we are striving to do here. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear out this word remarkable and, and, and just uh, revolutionary. Uh, everything you're describing, there's, you know, two, two immediate questions come to mind, and I think you're touching upon both of these. One is, you know, as, as the head of this ship, and I, I know you have this remarkable team that makes all of this possible, and you also have, you know, you alluded to it like there is, or there has been support within the state, you know, from a uh, market and kind of policy environment. But what is it like to be leading this ship during, you know, such a flashpoint time, um, but also building the track as you're uh, as you're driving to to mix a couple metaphors. Well, you know, it's I think it's more like we are you know building the plane while flying it and selling selling the tickets to fly in the plane. So because there is a lot of demand, people are very interested. You know, how soon can you bring this? You know, we have to move fast on all of this. So 
the the team that we have is a, uh, I, I love our team it's really a collection of um, awesome people there is one recruiting criteria that is essential curiosity uh, the number one um, criteria for hiring who whatever function is curiosity so it's a bunch of very curious people coming from everywhere uh, of all creeds race religion what you know what whatever uh, but animated by the same uh, same goals and aspiration here um, so you know as we as we move forward uh, I think that and, and, and let me answer your question about Illinois and, and, and Chicago and, and, and policies in a little bit of a broader, you know, broader sense, because I don't think it's necessarily specifically a, uh, a local thing to, to think about. First of all, I think we, it, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a few things that I think we need to, to keep in mind. First, the, the first thing is in the coming decades, the majority of population will be in cities. Right, so having a policy that having policies that take that into account and that do not necessarily assume that food has to come from you know the, the, that actually have to uh, having policies that can factor in the fact that you can grow food in cities and should actually encourage that I think would make sense and so that's that's um, that's important for a place like Chicago to, to, to keep in mind. I mean, Chicago could be, what we're trying to do here is put Chicago back on the map on the protein production, right? The, the second thing is the sort of opposition between this new and this whole, you know, we being the new agriculture and this, this other classic agriculture being the old agriculture. I don't see it like that at all. I see it as a, continuum and an evolution of technology, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is phenomenal about uh, agriculture, it is that it is, it, it is fundamentally um, the same technology that we've been using for 11,000 years. The changes have been very incremental and very limited, uh, but basically we're still relying on a handful of plants and a handful of animal that we started to domesticate about 11,000 years ago. You know, if you, you can make a mental list of the number of animals and the number of plants, it's, in, it's ridiculously small if you think about it. I think there is less than 10 plants that account for um, something like 60% of the calories that we eat worldwide. And there are millions of species out there. Right? So we have this technology that has been focused on a very limited amount of strains um, and we're cultivating very much in the same manner. What we are proposing here is to add to this list a completely forgotten group that we can see before that we kind of have been using without really knowing it, which are microbes. There are millions of them there are billions of them, as a matter of fact. They are very, very, very efficient. Why don't we domesticate some of them and use them for, for what uh, they can provide? So that is fundamentally why we call the company Nature's Fine. Uh, what we're doing here is using something we found in nature. This is not a genetically engineered 
um, prize, something we found in nature. Uh, yeah, we had to look in a different place. We had to think a little bit differently. But that's what you have to do if you want to bring some innovation. Um, but, but fundamentally, we, we believe that nature has the answer to a question that we can barely formulate in, in many cases. And that's why, we, that's why we call the company Nature's Fine. And so it's fine with a, with a Y. And it's really because the organism is a fusarium, and it's the fusarium from Yellowstone, and hence the Y from Yellowstone. So it was a little bit of a, a kind of a distant reference for, uh, and, and hence, hence the name. You can put so the poetry I, I, in a lot of areas. Th that's right. That's right. So I think, you know, I, I, for a place like Illinois, which has both this, um, one of the largest cities in America, and a very deep um, agricultural history, and, and, you know, a lot of lands, you know, one of the largest producers of corn, soybean in, in the country, we actually... Um, use some of the byproducts of that of this agriculture. So we're not going to put the farmers out of business. We might put some ranchers out of business, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, we still need some sugar and we, we still need this thing. We're just going to be much more efficient at transforming that into a protein than a cow is. And, and fundamentally, it is um, about efficiency. And fundamentally, it is, once again, about learning to do more with less. Um, so we can get a much better use of the land, a much better use of the resources. Um, and that is what we need to do if we want to have a, a, a better um, hospitable planet. That's, that's a requirement. So I think the more policies can factor these things in, the better it will be. Uh, I think it is important to see these things that you know, this sort of new and old as, not new and old, but just the continuation of the technology voyage that we've all been on since, uh, uh, you know, we moved on from uh, hunter-gathering to starting agriculture. We are, we are cultivating biological system the same way a farmer is. There is fundamentally no difference there. What really stuck out to me, and I, I agree and appreciate with everything you're saying, is your focus on continuum. I think there can be, and you know, what's human, to reduce things to polarity or just that it's either or good or bad. Um, as opposed to, no, when we have new technology and we have new, um, new opportunities, they are usually the result of a lot of interdisciplinary things. It does not inherently mean that like everything that has come before is bad. And it also speaks to the complexities of other industries and related industries. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, within the, within the solar development space, I spent a fair amount of time in urban, suburban, and rural Illinois, talking to landowners, whether those were government entities, whether they were third generation farmers, where leases were signed at the local subway in a town of like maybe 800, where you had the patriarch who's maybe in his 60s or 70s, his son is in his 40s, and you know the third generation who's maybe nine or ten playing I, it wasn't even a nintendo switch i feel old now because i didn't even recognize what it was but some version of a you know handheld uh device and you know the whole point is if they have 100 acres put 20 acres into solar because in theory that's going to be more um steady revenue as opposed to soy and beans um given the uh recent volatility with china and latin america and just kind of how 
those markets shift and the idea of, oh, 20 to 30 years of, of lease payments for part of my land allows me to have more security. And this was, this was calculus that suburban, urban, and rural landowners were doing. And it can be really easy in the climate change, sustainability, environmental space to center it on just one population, on just like, oh, there's just this one population that views X, Y, you know, something like climate change or sustainability as one thing or as, you know, a preferable perspective as opposed to recognizing, okay, maybe the cities have the role of purchasing subscriptions or, you know, helping to push this type of policy. But if you frame it in a different way in rural Illinois and you focus on the jobs or the tax, uh, tax base or, um, opportunities for returning citizens or, you know, more stability and for landowners, et cetera, you can see urban and rural communities moving on climate change in different ways that, that go in hand. Um, and it's a long tangent, but I, I don't think that continuity and that appreciation for interdisciplinary collaboration gets talked about enough. And, and it's one of the things that I, I really respect and appreciate um, about what you're doing. If I could shift to a fun question, um, because that was a wordy, heavy. Uh, can you tell me more about the um, product line you guys have planned? I know you know you have this protein that provides nine essential amino acids. You're looking at food, beverage, um, you know, kind of the whole suite. That's got to be incredibly exciting on a product development side. I would love to hear a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, we, um, so what's interesting about our, our protein is that it is a complete protein with all the essential amino acids, which is pretty unusual for a non-animal protein source. And, and without getting too much in the, in the technical side here, but not all protein sources are equal, right? You, th there are these um, uh, essential amino acids that you cannot synthesize if they are not in your food and you need them. And um, when you, if you want to not have animal protein, there, there are only a limited amount of them. Uh, you know, soy being one of the sources of complete protein, but they're really not that many. Pea is not. You know, and there's a lot of other um, proteins that are not complete. That are. It's a little bit like you know, you get a car with three wheels. Uh, you, you might be able to move forward, but this point is going to be a problem. So it is important, and, and you know you hear often people talking about mixing various types, you know, rice and beans, and to kind of supplement these things. Um, but not everyone is working around, walking around, trying, you know, with a very clear map in mind of you know which protein and which essential amino acid is being supplied or not supplied by this or that source. So it, it turns out that ours is a, a great source of essential complete. Uh, protein. One thing that's interesting also is that we, we develop a technology that leverages the filamentous nature of the organism. So it kind of has natively filaments that resemble muscle filaments. It's not the same thing, but it has an inner structure. So what we're talking about here is not something that is like uh, tofu, right? It is something that is when we harvest it, that kind of looks like a slice of raw chicken breast. Wow. So we have this um, natively 
because we, we, we pick it up from, from, from the liquid where we grow it, we, we really pick up this, imagine again, this slice of raw chicken breast. It has a sort of the texture of a raw chicken mm -hmm. breast. That's the closest I can describe to you. And it's very different than what you do typically in plant-based protein, where you have to extract the protein flour from a soybean or, or a pea. And once you have this protein flour, you have to process it texture uh, to create a texture, and then you have to process the water back in. We don't have to do any of these things. We natively harvest this, this, this texture and moist protein. And then once we have it, we can form it and flavor it in a way that enables us to address meat alternative as well as dairy alternative. So that, that, that's if, wonderful. If, if you think about it, it's not that different than what you do with a cow. You know, you can eat the cow or you can drink the milk or you can make yogurt, mm -hmm. right? right? Mm -hmm. There's no reason, I mean, it sounds surprising that we can do both of these things, but actually it makes a lot of sense. Um, and when we, these changes, um, you know, making it, like if you want to make a strawberry yogurt, we do a second fermentation with the, you know, lactobifidus kind of organism and we put strawberry in it and it tastes like a strawberry yogurt, just like you would remember. And of course, we can also make, uh, you know, meat alternative. Uh, so those things are um, what we had to do to be able to, to achieve these things is, all, of course, a lot of R&D work. It took us a lot of time because, again, there mm -hmm. is no book mm -hmm. out there that tells you how to invent that. So you have to invent. You have to ask a lot of questions. You have to try again and again and again. Um, and one of the attributes that we needed to achieve with a fair neutral taste initially so it sounds boring to have a, a neutral taste actually it's not and, and protein has a neutral a, taste mm -hmm. no if you, i was just gonna say if you take a, a piece of chicken breast and you just put it in the microwave you know no salt nothing you'll see it basically has no taste right so the taste is coming from the combination of fat from the combination of spices from the, 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 the treatment of the thermal treatment of all of these things together all of these things contribute to taste but protein has to be bland right so developing you know think about it finding if a fungal you know a fungi a microbial fungi in, in in the wild then finding a way to cultivate it and then finding a way to cultivate it in a way that it has no much taste all of these same Simple, they, believe me, they're not. There was a lot of work to get there. Um, but that enabled us to go through all of these uh, formats, food format. And our goal is really to be able to provide you with a product that based on phi, this, this better for you protein and better for the planet protein, at pretty much any one of your eating occasions. So you want something for breakfast, we can be there. You want something for snack, we can have something for you. You want something for lunch, you want a soup. You know, we can be in all of these formats. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what we're going to start with because I want to surprise you a little bit. Uh, I don't want to spoil the surprise. Um, but hopefully you'll see that uh, pretty soon, actually. I think we're, we, you know, we're planning on launching uh, early, uh, early next year. So it's, it's, coming, it's coming pretty fast. That's that's wonderful, and I I apologize for interrupting. I I grew up cooking. Um, I, I probably started cooking around eight, nine, ten, and so when you're describing like finding that 
neutrality so you can take that protein and turn it into a snack or you can turn it into something like uh to create you know like dairy um type products or like a meat or a chicken that's incredibly fascinating to me and what was going through my head is like oh okay i could cook this you know with if i'm making you know a fried rice a stir fry i potentially could use this like in place or in addition to like a protein powder or like a protein shake like as the base like these are the kind of things and it, it really lends to that um to their creativity and it also speaks to when we are you know as as a whole exploring new technologies particularly around food not only is this better for the planet not only does it create opportunities in places that maybe had seen a dip in economic activity but this is also really fun and exciting and and, and lends itself to creativity um and so absolutely you know f food is uh is something that people um enjoy and it's uh, it's something that we share and it's something that's you know infused with cultures and habit and, and so it's exciting for us to be part of you know that new that new food and we we want to bring similar sort of uh yeah i'm looking forward a hundred years from now kids would say when i was young and my mother was cooking the fine you know that that's that would be great you know there's there's so much about this that can capture the imagination um you know you all are in the rare class of few chicago companies that have raised over a hundred million dollars in, in in funding and it's you know even you don't need me to say this but even in the interactions we've had it's it's amazingly apparent why um are you able to share you know maybe an anecdote or two about what it is when you're going for funding and you have to present this in the very you know like straightforward this is how this makes sense on a business case and it, and it strikes the moment etc um what is it have have you found trends about where that light bulb turns in you know especially for these folks who are hearing seven revolutionary pitches a day like what what is it that really turns on the light bulb um so i i think um you know, everybody has probably a different strategy depending on what, what they're trying to do. Um, so we raised capital twice. We did the first round of funding and, and we just, you know, as we discussed earlier, we completed our second round of funding. Um, the second round of funding was led by two groups that we're very, very excited to have around the table. And, and one of them is Breakthrough Energy Venture, which is one of uh, Bill Gates' investment vehicle. It's not just Bill Gates, it's Bill Gates, um, started this fund and he had a, a bunch of like-minded um, billionaires who chip in. It's a $1 billion fund mm -hmm. um, and it's Bill Gates, it's Jeff Bezos, it's Jack Ma, it's, um, it's basically people who dedicated uh, money to support mm -hmm. companies who have technology that can impact positively um, climate change. So we're very excited to uh, have them co-lead this round, and the other the other group that's um, co-leading here is called Generation, mm -hmm. and Generation is a very large fund. It's actually uh, it was co-created and shared by Al Gore, so it's um, you know again having Bill Gates and Al Gore kind of as a you know, co-leader here. Absolutely, um, it's very exciting for us, and it's it's exciting that they are excited. 
it's it, these mm -hmm. guys see everything and and the fact that they're excited about our technology enough to form us is you know it's it's a great it's exciting for us exciting for our team it's 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 great we're, we're very uh, psyched about that so we also have um a, a local investor who is adm archer daniel midlands and mm -hmm. we have a, a, a french uh the french food company danone uh, as mm -hmm. well as another um, VC firm from uh, Silicon Valley, which is called 1955. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, when you get into the money trail, uh, I, I think as an early stage pre-revenue company, the more you can make people understand what the end game is, and the more you can not do that with PowerPoint, the better off you are. Mm -hmm. And on the first, you know, on the first, uh, when we did the first round and we really were a very small company, I had a Ziploc bag with chicken nuggets at Otify. And so I was, uh, you know, meeting in a bunch of places around Silicon Valley and San Francisco. And in the middle of the meeting, I would just pull up my Ziploc bag and, and put a chicken nugget on the cold chicken nugget on the table. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I was able to do that every time changed the conversation. Yeah. Uh, because it, instead of having the concept of what this could be, I am putting this in front of you. I'm putting this concept. You can, it's not a concept. You can touch it. You can take a bite. You can feel the texture. You can, so the closer you can get, even in like a, a demo mode, if you will, to what this is going to be at the end, you know, what it is that you're going to do with the money that's going to be handed out to you, um, the more value and the more convincing it is. So my, my advice is yes, you know, the, make sure you tell that not from where you are, but from where you're going, where are you going to arrive? Um, and the more you can show that and present that. And of course, you know, you have to make the case that this is valuable and that it makes sense and that there's going to be demand for it. And all of this are, of course, prerequisite. But again, the, the more you can make it, um, tangible i think the, the the better it is so we um and on the next round of funding we were for every meeting we, we took we were it was basically in the form of a meal so we were we were hosting the parties which were interested and we were serving them a meal simple as that made entirely with our product and you know i i want to be mindful of your time and if i could ask one uh one, one last question, you know, when you work with your team, when you work outside of the team, you know, there, there is this end game that you're thinking of, you know, this mix of helping to revolutionize our food system of um, helping to continue to just make sustainability, this accessible, enjoyable, um, you know, uh, thing that can really take route or take root. What is, you know, right now, when you look five, 10 years out, you know, what is the end game you see, or at least the, you know, some milestones you all really have in mind within the sustainability realm that you want to help contribute to? I mean, you know, for us, so let, let, let me, let me answer your question in, through a side, uh, through a side answer, if, if you will. So to Absolutely. me, when, you know, what I'm, what I'm telling our team again and again and again is to me, success 
will be when you know one day I go and get into a restaurant and ask for a salad and the waiter tells me uh, sir which protein do you want with your salad do you want mm -hmm. chicken do you want beef do you want tofu or do you want fi yep I want to have fi on the list right that is to me that is that means that we've been able to make an impact and we've been able to become a, a, a staple like a common a common format of this new protein just like, like a sort of new tofu with more texture and more variability mm -hmm. variation in, in, in taste so the impact of that um, would be something that you know probably my kids will enjoy more than than i will uh it will be hopefully a little bit of a better planet and that's that is really the goal um that is really what took us on this journey i mean it's just you know, what can we do to make things a little better not so much for us but you know for for the next generation and for for this still planet it's the only one we have it is the only planet we have there's no planet b right that's you know mars maybe one day but not, not now so we're very we need to take care of this I and mean, this is our home we really need to take care of this so for for us what does it mean it means that you can do this only if you go fast and if you go big i mean it, you cannot have impact if you just want to be small and slow it's just the reality of what it is so we are going to be very keen in the years to come to develop aggressively our presence not only in the us but outside of the us in europe in asia fundamentally if you want to have an impact on the protein crisis and making sure there's going to be enough protein the real game is not about winning at the whole food in palo alto and in this village in new york because mm -hmm. the protein crisis there is not really a protein crisis. right it's going to be okay the real protein crisis is going to be in China. It's going to be in India. It's going to be, um, and, and then it's going to be in Africa, which is going to add 1 billion people in the next mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. So these numbers are phenomenal. We don't have the resources to feed these people with the protein. There's going to be carbohydrate and lipid for everyone. Protein is going to be a challenge, mm -hmm. especially protein in a form that, that we like. So that is our mission. That's what we need to do. And Things are accelerating, good things and bad things are accelerating. Climate change is accelerating, it's going to continue to accelerate. And we need to really push hard to bring these solutions, whether it's on you know, electricity generation, in food, in, in all sort of uh, uh, this legacy industry and, uh, that, that need to change. We need to push hard now. And we know that the, the, the cruel joke it's whatever we do know, we only have an impact over time. And these things are gonna take time. Climate change is baked in at this point, right? Mm -hmm. That's, not a, that's mm -hmm. not a pessimistic view, it's a fact. Even if we could stop everything right now, it would still go up for a while. So it is, it is urgent to start now and to have as much impact as we can, as fast as we can. You, you know, it was, so being, you know, having Bill Gates as an investor, I, I had a, a chance to, you know, he invited the CEO of his company and, and we had a, a, had a chance to spend a bit of time uh, with other people and in, in, in his, you know, with him. And he, he explained why he was doing what he was doing. He said, look, I realized that um, most governments are not gonna be supporting 
the transformation that is required because it's going to be painful for the existing industry and that's not going to be popular. So we, the billionaire, they're not running for office, right? So nope. he said, it, we must support this technology and we must help um, accelerate this change. It's kind of funny to see all these things about, you know, on the, on the Twitter or on the, on the internet sphere about Bill Gates being this bad guy or trying to make more money. I honestly think Bill Gates doesn't give a damn about making one additional dollar. He's actually giving most of it away. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't have anything to prove to anybody. He's really pretty much past that stage. Um, and it is really a mission. You know, I think he, he really belongs to this category of people who say, like, we need to do something now. And that's why he's doing, in many ways, what you would argue some governmental funding would help and would be necessary to, to promote. But it's not there to the degree that it should be there. That's the reality. We're um, in college, I studied China and you know the rise of kind of the resurgence of what I'm going to call the city state almost. You know, these boom town or mega city regions and, and how they're playing different roles, going through different channels that have global consequences either around meeting their own food demand. You know, China needs to meet the food demand. That has changed their relationship with Africa and Latin America, which then impacts how our farmers operate, you know, given competition in the market for land and food products. And I think, you know, what, what you're saying is absolutely correct. We're seeing this class of billionaires also acting on a global stage to leverage resources, you know, in some of these instances who recognize what you're discussing, that, that need for like urgency and stewardship on things and saying, you know, whether it's looking at the 2030 or the 2050 metrics, like climate change is baked in, we need to move. Where are areas where we can move? Okay, food, agriculture, that is an area where we can have this impact. Um, and, and so it's just a remarkable time to be alive because whether it's, whether you can look at someone like Bill Gates, whether you can look at, you know, people who are um, making sure on the grassroots that the, um, you know, individual urgency is felt and, and, and recognized kind of in mass media, or people like yourselves and, and, and your team at Nature's Fine who are saying we have this urgent need for stewardship and we have the capacity and and to me that it's these dynamics give me more hope for the future and and appreciation for for this types of action these types of actions well look we we like to say that we're a food company for optimists so and we we have to be optimists i mean there's almost a moral imperative to be optimistic and to try to do things i mean it's it i mean it there's it's a must it's a moral imperative we have to i think that's a fantastic note to conclude the first episode of the second season of the chicago sustainability series thank you immensely thomas jonas of nature's find for sharing your insight your story uh your perspective and the fact that you were doing this in the same ground in chicago hope we can circle back once the product launches with with another another conversation i cannot wait to uh to try it and thank you again so much thank you
The Chicago Sustainability Series was founded in 2015 to explore the intersection of sustainability, inclusion, representation, and equity. You can learn more about the podcast at sustaintheshy.com, as well as become involved in future dialogues, find out about our impact with our partner nonprofits and volunteer activations, or recommend a future speaker, and more. Founded and produced by me, Tomas de Medici, you can listen to more dialogues like this on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more by searching for the hashtag SustainTheShy or looking up the Chicago Sustainability Series. Thanks for listening.